Amen. Matthew and chapter 9. There's been a lot of commentary in the last few days about Ireland's latest census figures. You've probably heard them and what they tell us about the state of religion here in Ireland. Now, the experts are really interested in the recent changes in how people see themselves and classify themselves when it comes to religion on the census. Plenty of talking points. And if you look at the list, plenty of religious options too. Take your pick. And that's just it, isn't it? It's very, very normal to self-define those religious identities, Catholic, Protestant, Jew, whatever. The trouble is, all this talk about religion and religious practices, it just misses the point about Jesus. And even far worse than that, it actually takes us away from Jesus and the true life transformation He offers us. Jesus' radical mission wasn't about fitting into religion, or even inventing a whole new one. No way. Instead, what we've been watching here in Matthew as he records it, we've seen that Jesus' mission was to deal with your most serious problem, to forgive sins, to transform sinners. Now today, I want you to watch closely as an accusation against Jesus' followers here in Matthew 9 becomes an opportunity for Jesus to declare the extraordinary way that he himself came to redefine religion, to fulfill it, and to do something remarkably new. That's the title of today's message, New. But, but please don't just watch. I've asked you to watch this in Matthew, but don't just watch. You see, the amazing thing about the gospel we've been singing about and reading about is that this good news is something greater than a religious identity being offered to you. Something breathtakingly new. So don't just watch it, grasp it. Okay, that's where we're headed. Let's see how Matthew moves us from a religious accusation to that extraordinary revelation of who he is. That's where we're going first here in verses 14 and 15. Look them up. Matthew 9, let's read from verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, these are John the Baptist's, John there in 14, John the Baptist's followers. John, who you might remember in Matthew, John could see that Jesus was mightier than himself, and he uses those words. He could see it, chapter 3, verse 11. But John's followers, they themselves, well, they mightn't have seen things in the same way as their leader, as John. You see, the followers here, the disciples of John, their minds are in religious rituals, Specifically here, fasting, doing without food for a religious purpose. And they even put themselves in the same category as the super-religious Pharisees as they make your accusation. Have a look. Jesus, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Your followers, in other words, aren't as religious as us, Jesus, they accuse. 
And therefore, the implication, your ministry, Jesus, is defective. It's not quite getting the impact, is it? Now, think about John the Baptist. If you know anything about what the Bible says about him, we know he lived quite an ascetic existence. His disciples, and some of them were, they were making these somber religious practices definitive, like fasting, and the resulting religious pride in their own self-efforts. Well, that made them point the finger at Jesus and his followers, not matching up to their religious standards. But then Jesus' reply, and it's, it's almost cryptic, isn't it? Look what he says. Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? In other words, how can they deny themselves food, do fasting rituals when they're at a wedding feast? It doesn't make sense. So Jesus is saying that his followers, his disciples are like the wedding guests. But here's the more shocking thing is what Jesus claims about himself. What's he saying here? He tells the accusers, I'm the bridegroom, Jesus says. Now, who could do that? Unless you actually are the groom. But who could walk into a room and say, well, the party's here because I've arrived. Have you ever done that? Maybe when you were two? But no one in their right mind would do that, would they? The party's arrived, I'm here. And there must have been gasps. You can almost hear the gasps at this point. But it isn't just, you see, that Jesus is claiming to be the center of something wonderful like a wedding party. There's a lot more to it. This this language here of bridegroom was known to the Jewish people. It's a reference, you see, to God. This is a messianic reference about Almighty God and his relationship with his own people, the bridegroom. There's a mention, and I'll read you a verse from Isaiah 54. This is what the prophet wrote, for your maker is your husband, the bridegroom. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. So it's language that's been used of Almighty God. And so this accusation has moved in this text from Matthew to a very stunning revelation from Jesus about himself. Striking, isn't it? Jesus is saying, because I am here, there's a new era dawning, and it's me. This is an age that won't be about all your religious pretenses and practices and rituals. No, no. Think about it. That sad self-denial of food, that's what fasting is. Fasting rituals. It put a weight on people who did them. But no, Jesus said, That's being replaced with sheer joy, the delight of a big wedding party, the delight of a celebration. It's quite stunning, isn't it, what Jesus is doing? Fasting to a wedding party. So stop coming in with all your religion and your comparisons and your accusations and realize that something breathtakingly new has begun, says Jesus. Now, if you haven't realized it, Jesus' answer to these religious disciples of John was pointing to himself. Look at me. And he blatantly said that he was about more than mere religion. And think about it, just as it did then, the truth about Jesus, you see, has the the potential to change everything. It, It has the potential to move from being someone who defines themselves in religious categories, 
religious, this religion or that religion, this denomination or that denomination, to someone who starts to see Jesus as the extraordinary Savior who takes away sin and forgives it and transforms sinners and brings the sheer joy of a wedding party, not religious rules and rituals, to your life. Now, that is truly extraordinary. Our reading of Matthew, and we've been in Matthew for quite a number of weeks now, it may be prompting you in exactly the same direction. And and your response, think about it as you read this about Jesus and the wedding party and the bridegroom and religion left at the door. Your response could be to let that new understanding of who Jesus is bring you to that watershed moment in your life where you move out of religion and towards Jesus Christ. There's the call. For me, that move came about two decades ago. And it was like the breaking of dawn into my life. You know the cold, somber night went just before dawn breaks and then suddenly it broke in. That was my experience. Other people describe a sense of freedom as they came to trust in Jesus Christ. Not religion. Not their own religious efforts and doing good things. Freedom. Jesus Christ. Joy. You might get the the sense of arriving at the most wonderful wedding you've ever been to. Walking in and feeling the joy in the room. New hope. That's the dawning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, even if you've been a follower, and I know many of us in this room have been followers of Jesus for a long time, you might have drifted away from that feast. I was at a wedding one time when a friend of ours who'd flown in for the weekend, uh, he seemed to just wander off. Nobody could find him. The wedding was going on, and where was he? We had to go and look for him. He was missing out on all the joy. But you know what? The Bible reissues a stunning invitation. Come back to the party today. Come back. Back to Jesus Christ who came to save his people from their sins, Matthew tells us. Not to burden you up with religion. Matthew has moved from religious accusations and petty comparisons to the remarkable new dawn that starts with Jesus Christ. Just in a couple of verses. And then he goes on to use two pictures, and that's where we're headed now. Two pictures to help his accusers and to help us reading the Bible begin to understand the bridegroom. Let's consider these pictures briefly and see how they set up Jesus' mission as the establishment of something completely new, something much more profound than religion. Let's look at the pictures. And as we look at them, there's going to be a challenge here too, just a heads up. So two pictures and a challenge. So let's turn to verses 16 and 17. Look at Jesus said after he answers them, his accusers. He said, No one, verse 16, puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved." Now, believe it or not, both these pictures are pictures from everyday life. But everyday life 2,000 years ago, well, it's a bit more remote to us Dubliners, isn't it? Everyday life images. But what are they about then? Well, look at the first one, verse 16. Um, It's from the mending bench. 
If you've ever mended anything in the clothing line, I had a few items of mine mended recently. They came back. It was amazing to see them. Now, Jesus says this. He says, no one, and if I could put these words in, no one is silly enough to put a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old piece of clothing. For the patch tears away from the garment, and you've got a worse tear at the end of it all. So in other words, menders beware. If a piece of cloth hasn't been worn in, attaching it tightly to a tear on an older piece of clothing will end up making the whole thing worse. And when it goes through the wash or over time, well, you'll rue the day. Nobody does this, Jesus said. Nobody does this. And then look at the second picture. So that's the the mender's bench. Look at the second picture. Um, We're back at the wedding preparations in some ways, but have a look at 17. Jesus said, neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins. And so both are preserved. Well, what's, what's this picture? Well, again, you don't take an old animal skin. This is how they used to store wine. You don't take an old animal skin bag, fill it with new wine, because here's why. The old skin bag, you see, as it's sort of that, you imagine an old piece of leather, it gets hard and brittle as it is aged. But the new wine, if you put it in, as it settles, it needs room to expand and there's gases released. And so the old brittle bags, well, they split and the wine's wasted. New wine, old skins, it just doesn't work. And everyone knows what Jesus said. You put new wine into fresh wineskins. And so both are preserved, as in both the new wine and the fresh wineskin. Both are preserved. I think the pictures are straightforward enough, aren't they? But what's Jesus getting at as he mentions it here in Matthew 9? Well, remember that Jesus has explained that he is the bridegroom. This is the new era that begins with him. A new beginning has started. And so you see all those old structures of religion, all that old stuff? It will not do. The Jewish religion from which he came, it's not going to work. All the old rituals, he's telling them that he won't be fitting into all those old structures. That's what he's saying. And anyway, they can't contain him and his new revelation that points to himself. That's what Jesus is saying. It just won't fit in. I can't do it. And so Jesus is saying there's a need for something new. Not a new religion. See where that goes. Back to our census forms. The number of new religions. People making stuff up just because it sounds religious or for a laugh. No, that's what Jesus is about. He's not talking about a new religion. No, he said there's a need for new structures given the fact that Jesus is now among them. This new era has begun. It's, it's quite amazing. Don Carson's really helpful here. You see, now that everything's focused on Jesus, there's going to be a need for new forms of expression to, that, um, to reflect the centrality of Jesus in their midst, his new kingdom that he's bringing. The old religion just won't work. You can't use the old thing for something brand new, something that's actually fulfilled what has gone before. And you see, Matthew's already been showing it, hasn't he? That word fulfillment, all the ways Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And then as Matthew goes on, 
And if you've read your Bible to the end, all the New Testament goes on to explain, there's no longer, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it so memorably, there's no need for repeated sacrifices day after day. Remember when the writer to the Hebrews said that? He said, you know, the old sacrifices were part of the old system, the old religion. We don't need that anymore. Why? Because Jesus died once for all on the cross. He was the definitive sacrifice. You don't need the old ones. And then the Bible also says that Jesus himself is the temple, the meeting place between God and man. You see, you don't need those old structures. And if you take those things out of the old religion, it's just rules and rituals, people feeling good about themselves. No, no, Jesus says, you don't need those. You're going to need something new. And it's as if Jesus is challenging us too, reading these words, 21st century, Dublin, have you realized, Jesus says, I came for more than just religion? Have you realized that Jesus came for more than just religion? Your rituals, your comparisons, your self-defined identities on a census form or whatever. No, Jesus says, I have redefined a lot. And so if you're still making religious rituals and identities your go-to, And that could be us, even as Christians who know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We could be making ritual and the bells and smells. We could be making that the thing that comforts us or makes us feel good. But no, Jesus says, the bridegroom is standing in your midst. This is a new existence. It's a wonder. It's it's actually no wonder that Matthew describes twice in his gospel. Um, Get this, twice he talks about the church chapter 16 and chapter 18. You see, the, not the building, not the religious stuff, the, 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 the rituals and the comparisons. No, no, the gathering of a people of God sent out, well, called out by God in the Lord Jesus Christ and sent out to serve Him, the church. Have you realized that Jesus came for more than just a bunch of religion? And if the answer is yes, well, we're going to have choices to make. Not about what we write on the census form, but more profound choices. Think about your life as you believe Him, as you follow Him. And we're going to need to keep thinking about any structures that we have established, like Blackrock Community Church or whatever. Are there religious structures we've set up? We're going to need to constantly reevaluate them, reform them, so that our focus isn't religion. It's on Jesus Christ, the Bridegroom. And then commit to following him. And do you remember that back in the wedding party? The deep, deep joy it brings. Sitting at that wedding party. All these new opportunities alongside the gathered church that are given by the Lord Jesus to us. People will always gravitate towards religion, won't they? Even if they call it no religion, people will always gravitate towards their own self-identities the way they've carved things out for themselves. But they and we need Jesus Christ. Jesus who positioned himself as the inaugurator of a new age, the leader of a new people, the one who came to forgive sin and transform sinners like us. Well, The lights are fairly well timed, aren't they? Just as we finish, listen to this. At this wedding... Here's a couple of things. Nothing old, nothing borrowed, 
Nothing somber and blue like fasting and rituals. Something new. That's the wedding. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for new wine, new wineskins. Thank you that Jesus didn't come just to give us more religion on our backs, a set of rituals to make us feel good about ourselves or to identify ourselves from others. No, thank you that Jesus came to bring life and forgiveness and transformation. Father, thanks for the, the way the Gospels and the New Testament fan that out for us. Jesus Christ has made such a difference to everything, to eternity. Father, would we grasp hold of that, not just watch it unfold in your word. And Father, where we have gravitated back to religion, draw us back to Jesus Christ, the one we need, the one who gives joy personally and who gives us the structures to, to reflect this new era. Father, thanks for Jesus. Would we keep going to him? May we look to his sacrifice once for all. Turn our minds and hearts to him, to Calvary. Father, thanks for this. Thank you that it's new. And we pray that we would respond rightly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.